I'm Aaron Berg. I'm many things. A son, a husband, an immigrant, a dad. I'm also a Jew. And I fought every stereotype there is about us. I was a bodybuilder, a male stripper. I worked in the sex trade. I became a stand-up comedian. And I realized that to be Jewish is to be badass. Join me and celebrate all the badass Jews out there. And let me tell you, there are a ton. Business moguls, game changers, assassins. They come from every walk of life. This is Badass Jews. And I'm your host, Aaron Berg. My guests today are single-handedly proving that there is nothing Jews cannot do. For all you young Jews out there who think that playing in the National Football League is an unattainable dream, look no further than these brothers from the same Jewish mother. One of them just won a Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs. The other was a badass offensive lineman until injury forced him into retirement. Together, they can put down more matzah balls than a Jewish Joey Chestnut. They are the first Jewish brothers to play in the NFL in nearly 100 years. Jeff and Mitchell Schwartz, it is my honor to welcome you to Badass Jews. Welcome. Glad to be here. I, I never heard anyone uh, make a matzo ball Joey Chestnut reference, so that's a first for me. I'm glad, I'm glad we can now have that seared in my brain. I love it. It's very rare, and I don't understand how Joey Chestnut does what he does. I watched it live last week. They didn't do it from Coney Island. They did it from this bubble in Brooklyn. And my friend George Chigger, he goes, I, I got called up. He's the 12th ranked eater in the world. He goes, they called <laughs> me in because other people couldn't fly in from like lockdown states. So he goes, I'm in. This is my shot. I'm going to upset the world. Joey Chestnut ate 70 hot dogs. George ate 17. And I go, what are you even playing in the same realm as Joey Chestnut? And I heard, by the way, don't know if you know this, professional eaters, Joey Chestnut gets tons of chicks. Tons of chicks by eating hot dogs. Just doing that gross thing. Somehow women equate that with his abilities in bed. I don't understand how it works. You guys love food. You look phenomenal right now you're holding a pen in your hand it looks like a toothpick you are massive jews it's phenomenal that this is not this is hitler's nightmare right now is the three of us it's phenomenal you guys are massive mitch you're six foot five 320 i don't know if you put on weight since the quarantine jeff six foot six 340 and that's sure. probably being generous it we'll, must be. We'll say 340. We'll, we'll, we'll keep that weight. Yes. <laughs> I might have been dyslexic and put the three where the four should be. Uh, it's, it's amazing to have you guys on. And by the way, first episode where I've ever had brothers on and talk to two people at the same time that aren't going to talk over each other. Um, Jeff and Mitchell Schwartz. It's an honor. You guys on paper sound like a lawyer duo or maybe an accountant for it's Schwartz and Schwartz. Come on down. We'll take care. Have you been injured in an automobile accident outside of a major NFL stadium? We're going to fix everything up for you. It's not, it's the names of two great NFL players. Jeff, you were a great player in the league. Mitch, you just want a freaking Super Bowl. How does that feel to win the biggest thing that you dreamed of since you were a kid? Yeah, it's been incredible. I mean, these past few months, uh, it's like nothing I've ever imagined. I mean, the city of Kansas City, you know, they're going nuts for us. Obviously, we got a pretty good quarterback who now it seems like he can own any NFL team he wants with that contract. Um, so it's just been a ton of fun. I mean, that's something that, you know, you always want to win the Super Bowl. You always aspire to it. You know, I didn't realize how much uh, it would mean to me until I was in the moment. Honestly, until we were down by 10 in the fourth quarter and I was sitting on the bench and just looking around thinking, man, this would really suck if we don't win, come this yeah. far, do all this work and end up not, not doing it. So it was kind of part excitement, part relief after the game, honestly, to be able to, to walk away with it. And then at this point, you know, we we're supposed to have our rings by now. Everything's all in the air with COVID. So I think things are slowed up. And so we're just uh, waiting for the ring. And that'll be, I think, the final thing to really like cement how, how cool it actually is. Does the Jewish complaining part of you come out at this point and want to call someone and go, where's my ring? Do you have that inner voice inside your head right now? Yeah, you know, I've uh, I've sent a couple of texts to various uh, staff members asking about what the process is and when it's going to come. You know, the, uh, the the ring sizing process 
I assumed, you know, the day after we got back to the facility, we all have our meetings and everything. I assumed they'd size us then because that seems the most obvious when we're all together. Well, it turns out they like mail you this plastic card that has all these different ring sizes and they only go up to 14 and my, my ring blows past the 14. So just for c- comparison's sake, people think that I'm a big stocky dude. I'm a six and a quarter size finger, <laughs> six and a quarter. And you can't fit. What are you, Jeff? Uh, what are you, Mitch? A 15? Something I'm really? a 15 for my wedding band. On my yeah. right hand, I was like between 16 and 16 and a half for the, the Super Bowl ring. And they said to size up because apparently with how massive the ring is, it, the way it wears, you want to go up. So I, I ended up going with 16 and a half. So pretty good. I don't know. I, don't know. Mine's, I think it was a 15, 15 and a half maybe, probably. I don't know. If I put both of my fingers like that, it's still not the size of one of your fingers. <laughs> it's incredibly disturbing to me. Jeff, you kind of laid the groundwork in your family to become professional football players. How do you feel when your brother goes on and gains this type of accolade in terms of winning a Super Bowl? Well, he did everything opposite of me. I, I couldn't stay healthy. Mitch has been incredibly healthy. And so he learned the, the path to uh, to being a great player through me. No, look, it's it's really been incredible to watch. You know, when Mitch started out in college, um, I was able to watch his games and you see him progress. But then in the NFL, you know, early on, you know, I, I, I just kind of – would give him tips and pointers if possible, but he was really lucky. He had a great offensive line room in Cleveland. Joe Thomas is an incredible mentor to have. John Greco, Alex Mack, these guys in Cleveland really helped him out. So it's just been kind of, I've just been sit back and watch him play and just see the maturity in his game, the growth in his game. And now I don't even get nervous watching him play. I used to get super nervous about it. And now I just watch him play and just see the way he's playing. I'm just, I'm just happy for him. I'm happy that he has had the success he's had in his career. Obviously, being in Miami to see him win a Super Bowl was pretty incredible. And sitting with the Chiefs fans, I was in the Chiefs section. You know, they had had so many years of playoff misery. And to see the pure joy in their faces when the, the, uh, the, the Chiefs went ahead in that game and um, it was just, it's been so much fun to watch his career go. And um, I don't know how much, you know, I really helped his career. I mean, other than just maybe, I don't know, telling him how things might go in training camp. But um, otherwise, he's had those mentors in his life that have, you know, in person, which I think are so important to have in life, especially in football, to have those players kind of in your life to help you, you know, help guide you through your career. When you guys were growing up, you know, there's uh, a few years, there's three years between you. Was it competitive or was there this family camaraderie between the two of you? Well, I would say it wasn't competitive because Jeff was, I like to say, three years older and three years fatter. So he had a, a pretty big size advantage on me and I couldn't compete with him. I mean, you think about a 12-year-old of how big we would be at 12 years old, you know, compared to a nine-year-old. There's just nothing I could do. I mean, we play wiffle ball and he just destroy the ball and he hit home runs and, you know, that wasn't fair. We try to do, we play this game on our knees in our parents' bedroom, like a tackle football type thing. And, you know, obviously he was three years bigger, so I could never beat him. And then eventually we got so big, we popped the uh, ceiling fan in the dining room underneath off, off the wall. So we had to stop that. Uh, so it wasn't, you know, we com- we competed, we played sports, we did that stuff, but I just literally, I mean, I couldn't win. He was so big. He was athletic. Uh, so I think, you know, people assume that we have this, you know, kind of competitive nature that we always want to best each other. But it was honestly really friendly. And we, you know, played together. Obviously, I wanted to win. But it was something that uh, I realized I was a little bit outclassed until uh, I got myself a little bit fatter myself. What is it like growing up two Jewish brothers that decide to become athletes because it's it's a very rare thing. You grew up in Los Angeles. I would imagine most parents are like, you got to go to law school. You got to do this spiel. When when does it dawn on both of you? We're not going that traditional route. We're we're going badass. We're we're becoming athletes. When did you know? Well, I've always played sports. I don't remember a time when I didn't play sports. I mean, my dad, you know, played basketball on Saturdays. I started doing that when I could get kind of get in the game. We went to UCLA football games every Saturday. If not, we were in front of our couch watching football. Sundays, we watched the 49ers play. There was never a time I don't remember sports. But I remember kind of junior year in high school, I was starting to get kind of good at football. I went to a camp. I saw coaches saw me. I kind of got started getting letters. And then I realized I could play college football eventually. I had a really good coach in high school kind of really pushed me. And then, you know, college, I just kept playing. And, you know, people ask me this, like, how do you know, you know, you were going to the NFL? 
I, I just kept playing until someone told me I couldn't play anymore. Like, it was that simple. I never like had an epiphany like, oh my God, I'm going to be in the NFL. I just kept playing until really no one signed me anymore in 2016. Like there wasn't ever an epiphany in my mind like, hey, I could do this. Um, I played really well my senior year in college. And so I figured, hey, I, I would get drafted. Um, I didn't really know kind of where I get drafted. And then I just played in the NFL. I, I didn't really have like an expiration date in my mind. I never thought like, you know, like that kind of epiphany that people have of this is my career, this is my life. I just kept going until I couldn't play anymore. There's the this love of the game that you had where there, there was yes. nothing else you wanted to do. And you're like, I'm just going to well, do it and see what comes. I wanted to be a, a pitcher. That was my that was my dream in, in all through high school. And even when I signed with Oregon, I thought I could still like play baseball. I wouldn't have like one last hurrah in the summer league up in Portland. Phil Knight and Penny Knight owned a, a club baseball team. And so I played the summer before I went into college. I just, I thought I'd always play baseball. I, I, football was like a on the, the, the kind of afterburner. And so when baseball didn't pan out, I wasn't good enough. I just played football. I, I never really gave a thought to like, this is good, what I'm going to do when I'm done playing college. I just thought I'd go, go to college, get my degree, and then you know become a lawyer is what I thought I would do. Yeah, that's what I thought until I wrote the LSATs and then I got the <laughs> results back. And then I was like, I better start telling dick jokes for money. Uh, <laughs> and, and it all worked out. What about you, Mitch? What was it like? Uh, did you have an epiphany? Did you know that you were going to go this non-traditional Jewish route? No, and mine was even easier because, you know, back to the earlier question, you know, Jeff just set the tempo for me. Uh, you know, he started playing high school football. He got recruited. He went to college. I figured, all right, I'm probably going to do the same thing. I got a scholarship. I went to college. You know, we saw Jeff get drafted, play in the NFL. I just kind of assumed that would all happen for me too. I mean, like, like you said, you don't really have this moment where you say, oh, yeah, I can actually do it. You just get caught up in this kind of cycle of things and – you know, that was something that I am really lucky that Jeff went through it all because, I mean, I hate, you know, going into new things or going into things with, without a, a sense of um, what's going to happen and, and how it's going to be. And so having a brother who, you know, got recruited, went to college, he could tell me what that's like, went through the draft process, tell me what that what that's like, playing the NFL, tell me what that's like. It just made my transition really easy, really smooth. And I, I do think I had an advantage over, you know, a typical guy who's, who's getting drafted in, in the sense that, I had some expectations, you know, you can get as much advice from your agent or from other people in your life as possible. But uh, I mean, you know how it is, unless people are in the situation, you don't, you know, necessarily give it 100% uh, of your attention. And so having, you know, a literal uh, brother who uh, had gone through it and, and could tell me about the experience, and I could see it firsthand. Uh, I would say that definitely gave me a leg up. It's like, uh, do you feel like you owe your brother half of your Super Bowl ring? No, he, uh, the other part to the baseball story is, is he threw one inning, I think gave up three or four runs. So his ERA is like 36 and that team ended up winning the championship. So they gave him a freaking championship ring for his one inning and four runs. I don't even so know where the ring is. He technically has his own ring. I do. I gave him three, I gave him three and run. my ERA was 27. I think I gave him what? three runs. Yeah. I yeah. So, so I play this, I play this one inning. We're up six, we're up nine to six. It's my only, it's like semi, it's like a college ball summer team. So the first time I ever like threw against college kids, uh, I get the first guy to ground out. The second guy strikes out on a backdoor curveball, looking, I'm like, sweet. I, I'm rolling. Then I walked yeah. three, three guys in a row, gave up a double, got booed off. Then we scored four runs in the bottom of the nine. So I got the win. So I'm one and oh, the 27 ERA. And we went to win like the championship of the whole club summer ball thing. And I got a, a low Knights. So now the Corvallis Knights, but I have a ring somewhere. It's, not, it's probably my parents' house. Who knows? But yeah, I got a ring. So Mitch is right. I'll take my, my ring from my, my club baseball days of one exact week playing with them. That's hilarious. You get the first two guys out and then just like. <laughs> walk, 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 apart. double. Um, growing up together, would you guys stick up for each other? Did you have moments where there was like growing up in L.A.? Uh, you know, Pacific Palisades, I don't know how, how bad it was, but was there anti-Semitism present? Did you guys have to stand up for each other? I, I don't remember much on my, on high school, really. Um, you know, there were moments in college, but we were also, I mean, we're three years apart. We're three grades apart. Like there was a lot of, we ran in kind of different, so I don't even remember, Mitch, you remember like when in high school, like, do we ever hang out during the day? I don't remember. I don't like, I don't remember that. Like, I don't think we even no. were the same. We, I don't think we're even in the same like circle at all. I think mean, we were acknowledged. We were there. I saw him at football practice or baseball practice, but I don't remember like ever being like, Hey dude, let's hang out at lunch. I don't, I don't even cross paths during the day. 
Yeah. My brother is six years younger than me. He went a different way. He's like uh, the, the chocolate fountain king of Toronto. You know, like chocolate <laughs> fountains for bar mitzvahs and stuff. And uh, was never a bodybuilder or anything like that. And I remember one guy picked on him once. So I went and kicked that kid's ass. I was in eighth grade. So this kid was probably like in fourth grade. So then his brother, who was two years older than me, came and kicked my ass the next day. And it was, uh, you guys never had a moment like that where you, where you got to stand up for each other and kick somebody's ass? No, you know, I think obviously we were bigger than most people. So I think it was pretty natural for us not to get picked on. I think they were just intimidated and, and they knew better. And, you know, honestly, I mean, growing up in L.A., I think being around other Jews is just totally normal and natural. And so it's not something that stands out or something you get picked on for. Like Jeff said, I've never really experienced anti-Semitism personally, whether it was in school or on the football field or in sports. Um, so we're, I think we're both pretty lucky in that regard that we haven't personally dealt with it, although, you know, we've definitely seen it in, in other aspects. Yeah. And Jeff, you mentioned something like in college, you had to deal with a little yeah. bit of it. What was that like? Well, I mean, it, it we had a, a kid. A, so at the end of training camp, uh, we used to do a rookie show, a freshman show where the rookies are freshmen, depending on the NFL or, or college, would have to do like a show for us, like put on a, a skits or sing or whatever, just to for team bonding, right? And you, you, you boo them and you yell at them and you just, whatever. So the last day of camp. So we had a freshman from Georgia. He sang a song. He brought his guitar. And in the song, he said a lyric of some sort like, and this is how he equated to like, he said, and this is like the Jews burning in the ovens. All right. Yeah. So I went up to him afterwards and I was like, hey man, like this is, this is, this is not what we do. I explained to him and we were cool after that. I had coaches make comments every now and then. Like I, I, the first Yom Kippur, I, um, I wasn't even playing yet. I was dressing. So I said, look, I'm not going to play. I'm going to go to the game. I'm going to go to synagogue in the morning. I'll show up at the game. I'm not going to play. Um, and then the next year, one of the coaches said to me, like, is this something you're going to do every year? Like this Jewish thing you're doing? Um, so like, you know, just it's, and, and I, I, I know that these little things, other little things here and there, but, um, you know, I just think it, it comes from a place of, of just not knowing, like it's just ignorance. Like I, I, I don't think those people that I encountered that made any sort of comments, you know, I heard the, you know, the, the, you know, the kind of, you Jude something, right. You got something for cheap or something yeah. like that. I mean, I don't know how grand that is on the scale of anti-Semitism, but I just equate that from ignorance. Like people just, you know, that coach who said that to me had never ever coached a Jewish player before and never even really knew what Yom Kippur was. That kid from Georgia probably had never met a Jew in his life. He's from like, yeah. so, like, like South Georgia, you know, in the country, backwoods, small high school. And so, you know, those are a couple of things in college that, that I dealt with. Um, but I didn't feel any like, discrimination on the football side of things. Like I never felt that I was ever like, Hey, this guy can't play cause he's Jewish type of thing. Uh, it was just more comments and you know, that song and things like that. Yeah. And, and I, I think when you say it's ignorance, that is probably truly what it is. And I, and I don't even know if those people mean to hurt us with those words or if they're just like, Hey, this is what I heard. And this is what I think is funny. You know what I mean? I don't think that they equate, the suffering of Jewish people with how we are now. And I also think as Jews, for the most part, we kind of let this stuff roll off of our backs, don't we? Where you're just like, okay, they, they just don't know any better. I'm not gonna, I, I mean, we don't, we don't hold that grudge. I don't personally, do you? Like if I hear Nick Cannon was in the news cause he made some anti-Semitic comments. Yeah. I'm a comic, Nick tries to be a comic. So like, <laughs> I, I get it. And I'm like, I don't think he should be canceled. I just think, you know, if he wants to say that, he can say it, but he has to deal with the repercussions of it. But I also don't know. I think he's just saying talking points that he wants to believe. I don't I don't even know if he but, really believes that. I'm sure his agent's Jewish. I'm sure his manager's Jewish. Um, so I don't I don't hold on to that stuff. Do you feel yeah, the same me, way? To me, that's the old Seinfeld where Brian Cranston's uh, character converts to Judaism for the jokes. Yeah. Like it's just, they don't really know any better. You're just, you know, want to be part of this thing. And there's some cool inside jokes. And, you know, like we said, you hear other people say him and you figure it's something that everyone is accepting of. And um, yeah, I'm with you. I feel like it's, you know, something that people don't necessarily believe. And that is the one thing I think that's come, especially out of this uh, Deshaun Jackson situation is us being able to say, hey, there's all this hate, there's all this anti-Semitism. Um, it's a real thing. It's happening all the time. It's getting worse. And so we're able to bring light to that and really uh, teach people and have them understand that it is a thing that's happening and 
it's not getting any better and you know it's something that we need to address and fix yeah i watched you uh and you spoke out about deshaun uh very recently and i and i watched the video and of course i you know i go online i have a very acerbic twitter presence so I'll just make a real quick joke like he's a Nazi and then run off. Uh, but it's you were really well spoken about it. And, and you approach this for the people that don't know what he said. He took a quote that he believed was Hitler's quote, but was not Hitler's quote. So that shows you where he, he's coming from. Uh, and then you're approaching it from like, let's bridge this gap. Right. And, and you you on video, you made an offer saying, let's educate each other. Tell me about that. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that we've seen, you know, really in the past few months with, with the anti-Semitism stuff and also Black Lives Matter is that we've got these sides saying, hey, these things are happening to us. You know, we're not OK with them. It's been going on for a while. We need to do better. And it seems like for the longest time, no one else is listening. And so, you know, you have, you know, I talked about, you know, having armed security and police outside of, you know, high holy services. I mean, that was something when we grew up, I, I can't ever remember that, you know, outside where we went to Temple. And, you know, here in Kansas City, the past couple of times I've gone, um, that's been present. And so you're wondering, you know, why do we need police officers to protect us on, you know, the holiest day of the year? That, that doesn't make sense. And so that kind of triggers those things in your head where you're realizing, you know, how bad it's really gotten. And, yeah, I mean, like you said, I think this is a time of education for all of us uh, across the nation. You know, Jews, over 50% of the hate crimes that have a religious uh, uh, motivation are against Jews. And I think we're something under 3% of the total population. So you look at that, I mean, those numbers are insanely skewed. Uh, you know, hate crimes in general against Jews are the highest numbers they've ever been. Um, it's just, it's a bad situation. It's getting worse. And, you know, as Jeff has spoken out a lot on this topic too, but there are only so many, uh, you know, Jews in sports with, with a prominent role and with a voice. And so, you know, us being able to use those platforms to say, Hey, these things are going on. We want to address them. We want to talk about them. Um, that has been one of the positives of the past couple of weeks. It's, it's really cool to see good people step up have a point of view and not be afraid to share their point of view. Um, and, and that's what you did. And, and I feel like in professional sports, the people that are really elevated are the good people that do have a good message. I, I think that there's probably a lot of bad people in professional sports uh, that excel because of their athleticism. But I think somebody like you that has this balance of like extraordinary ability, which clearly runs in your family, and then uh, the humility to be able to attack things like that. It's very rare. I mean, this is why great athletes go on to become icons. Like you look at uh, Jordan, Tiger Woods, before his wife smashed the car with a golf club. <laughs> but it's like... It's a cool thing that you did, man. And, it, and it's really ballsy to step up when you are such a minority in, in that league and uh, not have to worry about what the repercussions are. You know, it's a really brave thing. So kudos to you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, I mean, Jeff, like I said, Jeff had talked a lot more about it. You know, I, I did a, a statement and a few other things, but, you know, Jeff had kind of been leading the charge on that. So uh, do you guys have these conversations between yourselves, like about what happens in the league? I mean, we've done an, I don't think we've ever had a discussion sitting down like, hey, man, what do you talk to your teammates about Judaism? But I know we've shared different stories. We've done, you know, podcasts like this together. And look, I'm, I'm talking to man. I've been talking to my whole life. I'll talk to anybody for any, about anything for however long they want to talk. Um, and so I talk to my teammates about everything. I talk to them about, about race, religion. I mean, the 2016 election, I was in the, the Lions locker room. We talked about it all the time, probably to the detriment of all of us. Um, you know, we, and we talk about religion. And so, you know, I was okay with talking to my teammates about Judaism, about Christianity, about Catholicism. We had a Muslim teammate as well in Kansas City. Uh, that was, He was great. Um, and so I think that I was always open to having these discussions. And that's why Mitch and I, I think both believe that a lot of the, the, the conversations we're having now with players making these comments come from just a lack of understanding about Judaism. And where we, us three, think, like, okay, Judaism is not that hard to understand, right? Compassion, empathy, you know, Old Testament, you know, just be a good person. And, you know, th those kind of cores of Judaism. But I'm telling you, I've, Mitch will tell you this too. Like, I have teammates that literally have no idea. No idea. 
about what Judaism is. And, you know, they're really hung up on, on Jesus. I understand that. I try to explain to them what we believe Jesus is, who he was, and kind of our traditions. And so I just think a lot of people don't know. It's very easy now with the internet age to hear something and just hear a one-minute clip, read a small blurb, and it, and it, and it reinforces your, your, your worldview. And you're very, it's very easy to get things twisted and just find things that, you, that align with you without doing your research and homework on it, right? I think we're seeing a lot of that right now when it comes to the way people are talking about Jews and money and the Rothschilds and, and all this stuff. It's just like, it's so, it's so ridiculous, right? Like just, just open up a history book and see what Jews have done in this country you know, it's it, so like, I think that's part of it. It's, it's Mitch and I had dealt with players that just literally had no idea. No idea. Yeah, and, I mean, to piggyback, you know, we were both in Israel with a few other NFL guys a few years ago. And, uh, you know, it's a cool experience to go to Israel and you realize, I mean, that's all shared history. You know, there's so much shared history between yeah. the religions. Obviously the New Testament kind of breaks off, but I just don't think people realize how much you know, we all started from the same place. We all believe in a lot of the same things. And, and we all really share this history when you go back, you know, uh, throughout the, the uh, times. And it was just that that was one of the cooler parts about, you know, going back to Israel for, for me is being able to understand, you know, all that stuff there is, you know, pretty preserved from uh, centuries and millennia ago. And, um, you know, it just all leads back to there. And that is something I think, you know, like Jeff said, that's another part of that don't understand and that ignorance is you know i think people think that judaism is its own separate entity and that um you know just completely different and that's the way i you know tell people i'm like hey old testament we're looking at the same stuff you know it's, it's all the same it's all shared um you know new testaments where things start to to differ but um we do have a lot of common similarities and once you kind of break the ice with that i think it gets the wheel spinning and then like jeff said i mean the conversations are usually pretty fun Everything is so close together in Israel. When you guys went, I, I went to, you know, the old temple and they're like, here's where Jesus was. And here's, where, and it's all, and then of course there's people selling stuff off in the alleyway, yes. which is, uh, I'm glad that you guys didn't go for birthright. That would have been a, a really uh, awkward flight with you and a whole bunch of teenagers. But what, what were the highlights of the trip to Israel? And did you feel a connection? Cause when I landed in Jerusalem, I was like, Wow. And then I went to Tel Aviv and I was like, this is just like South Beach. Uh, like that's how it felt to me. Well, we only spent a night in Tel Aviv, so we didn't even see Tel Aviv. Um, yeah. I, look, I, I think there were definitely many moments that were powerful. Um, you know, going to the, the Western Wall on Shabbat night was like, I think that was the highlight. I mean, by far, like to see everyone praying. But I, I'll tell you what. Everything was so fabulous, man. I mean, they took such good. We went up to this. We would see Galilee. We did, you know, Masada and Dead Sea and Jerusalem. And I just, I felt, I did feel connection. Like to Mitch's point about things you've read about, you've talked about, and then you actually see it. Like you see it right there in front of you, and you rarely have that experience in life. And um, I, I, it, it was an amazing trip. I hope to go back again soon, um, just to see everything again and kind of, you know, dive deeper into it. I'm, I'm sure Mitch feels close the same way I do. Did you guys walk the stairs at Masada or did you take the trolley car up? It had uh, just rained the night before. So uh, we got a, te a technicality to get us out of there, but uh, okay. we, we did the, like the very short hike. So they took us like as, as close as we could to where we were going. And um, then it took forever to get down to the Dead Sea because like the main road was blown <laughs> over or whatever. There was too much sand and water in the way. So Three hours later, everyone's car sick. We're in this bus going down these windy ass roads, and um, the Dead Sea was a very welcome rest. You see after all that. the guys on camels that like live in the tents on the sides of the road and stuff. Yeah, there's. We stopped and went on camels. I didn't personally go because. I was afraid of falling off and I didn't trust that they could hold my weight. But yeah, after they you, picked you, Jeff up, I should have known. But I went, I went on, <laughs> I went on with Brooke. Remember? I know. They, they, they wouldn't, so like they wouldn't let my wife on with me. They're like, no, 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 no. And then, and then all of a sudden they just Brooke hopped on. And then, so it was, I have a video of it. It's the, it's the hardest I've ever laughed in my life. Yeah. It was so <laughs> funny. Like I'm on this camp. I'm 340 pounds. We'll, 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 we'll stick with that. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm on a camel in the middle of Israel. 
Like it was the funniest thing I've ever done. It's an incredible video. Like, I should probably post it again. Like, it was so funny. Sir, please don't. You're going to break my camel. Please, sir. Oh, God. There's a, we run out of warranty on the camel. Please. Oh, God. This Jew is too large. Could somebody get me? Someone get me saw. Make this Jew in different parts. Uh, how How is the food? You guys are big-time foodies. You love Jewish food. How is the food in Israel for you? So the, sp the breakfast spreads were unbelievable. Uh, you know, the hotels we stayed at, uh, it seemed like breakfast is, you know, people say it's the most important meal of the day over there. It seems like they actually uh, <laughs> take that to heat. And uh, the breakfast spreads, unbelievable. You know, Jeff is a huge fan of smoked fish and white fish, which I actually am I'm probably the biggest Jew that exists who hates lox. But, um, you know, I, I loved, you know, the breakfast. The, the one downside to the trip is we didn't get to experiment, you know, and eat at too many of the local places. You know, we, we had a pretty busy schedule and they uh, seemed to be a lot of uh, delays in the schedule. So we didn't have too much time, but <laughs> we were able to eat at a couple local places and those places, the food was phenomenal. I mean, I loved it. I think it just seems like everything there is you take fresh ingredients and you cook it the right way and you keep it simple. And that's what all good cooking is. Um, you know, but that's something that the next time we go back, you know, we'll uh, not be kind of tethered to a, a group atmosphere. And so, you know, we'll be able to go there and, you know, really enjoy. And you know, we have friends that, you know, uh, have family that live there and that have been there a bunch and, and understand the area. And I know that uh, they'll, you know, kind of lead us in the right direction. Cause that is one thing, I mean, to your point, we heard that the food is outstanding in Israel, and I was really looking forward to, you know, trying out as much as possible. But, um, you know, I just basically stuffed myself every morning uh, and then rode it out till, till night and, you know, got a quick bite then. Do you guys ever think about opening up a deli called Schwartz Brothers Deli and then try and run out the Schwartz Deli in Montreal? <laughs> um, so I... I went to, it was a Schwartz Deli in Paris that wasn't good. I went to the Schwartz's in Montreal. That was good. Yeah. Um, I uh, No, I want no part of the restaurant business. I mean, Mitch might want it. I've had talks with people before about restaurants, and I just – I'm not cut out for that. I mean, Mitch maybe will open one one day, and he'll be part of cooking for it. I would just be in it to make money, which you don't make money owning a restaurant. So, right. um, no, I'm, I'm fine with spending money at restaurants. Maybe Mitch opens a deli in Kansas City. I have no idea. I want no part of that. That's a good idea. Mitch, you want to open a deli in Kansas City? There was a Jewish deli that opened up that uh, wanted me to jump on board, and I debated whether or not to invest, and it no longer exists, so I'm happy <laughs> I didn't invest in it. Uh, maybe if my name's attached, it might do a little better. And that Honestly, the, the location they chose was awful. But, um, yeah, to, I mean, I don't know how much I'd be involved in, in the cooking. I mean, 6'5", 320, standing on your feet for 12 hours a day in a hot kitchen. Uh, that's not really what uh, this body's made for. No, so. I think you just show up and sit at a special booth and like let people watch you eat a big pastrami sandwich. I think that's all you would have to do as the owner of that thing. That's that's what I have in that, mind. I mean, that's talk about an ideal life. Yeah, that they're eating pastrami and lots of Jeff. Football stop day. drooling. I can see you drooling <laughs> while I said pastrami. Uh, what are your favorite Jewish foods between the two of you? So does bagel, does lox count? Like yeah. as a Jewish? Okay, so I'm yeah. bagel and lox like by far. I'd have it, I'd have it every meal if I could. Plain cream cheese? Yeah, so plain cream cheese, a little red onion, and lox. I'm very simple with that. Um, it has to be whipped cream cheese though, whipped cream cheese. Yeah, whipped is next level. Yeah, yeah, whipped um, cream cheese, yeah. What type of bagel? Everything. Yeah. See, or poppy. Oh, everything poppy. A poppy guy through and through. Well, I've, I'll move to an everything every now and then. I, I'm a big poppy everything. I'll go with a garlic bagel every now and then. You know, you, you can't be around people after that. Um, but bagel locks and, I mean, matzo ball soup like that. I mean, I made my first one this this uh, this uh, last Hanukkah. I know you did too, Mitch. I, my broth was like, eh, I wasn't very happy with it. But I, that's probably my second favorite. I'm going to whisper, my wife isn't Jewish, but she tried to make matzo ball soup and she actually just took like hard pieces of matzah and put it in <laughs> and, I could, and I couldn't tell her that it wasn't that good. So I had to still eat it and it's like, <laughs> this is delicious. She's like, do you like it? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Trying to give it to the dog over by the side of the table. My booby used to make a good one. My mother was never a really good cook. She would make like chicken. She would take my booby's recipes. My booby made a veal that was amazing. Did you guys have that? Did you have like a booby and Zadie around that would like kick ass or they were already gone by the time you were growing up? 
No, we had our mom did all the cooking and come to find out our dad is basically allergic to flavor. So uh, she had to tone down a lot of things. He doesn't like garlic. He doesn't like rosemary. He doesn't like anything spicy. Cilantro. Uh, yeah, cilantro, cilantro. Just a lot of weird stuff that gives food flavor that uh, apparently was a, a no-fly zone. So uh, now that she, you know, she got to the point where basically she would kind of make his thing separate and she would make the rest of the dish, you know, the way it should be. So um, she's probably a better cook than, than we remember because she was tamping down some flavor. But, you know, to her credit, I mean, she knew she wasn't the best at uh, Jewish food. So she she tried brisket a bunch of times and it didn't work. And at this point, I think she just like buys it from Gelson's and reheats it. And yeah. that's been <laughs> a lot better than what she's tried to make from scratch. Um, you guys grew up conservative, which is on our show, a lot of the Jews we've had are like reform at best. Uh, some people are just culturally Jewish. Some people, we just lie uh, and say that, <laughs> that not really, but it's uh, what was it like? Because I grew up reform. I had a lot of conservative friends. Was your mother wary about you guys going into sports? I mean, I, yes, but I wouldn't consider my, my dad's the conservative Jew. I mean, my mom is, I would not consider to be, I mean, I think she's maybe moved in that direction as we had kids and got more involved in the synagogue, but that's, that was my dad. My dad was never worried about sports. My, my mom was, um, no, I don't, I mean, look, I don't remember. She never said no. I think she just worried that we would get hurt. I think she's still worried now. I mean, if she would, she would probably tell Mitch, like, it's okay to retire now. You've won a Super Bowl. Like, 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 don't get hurt. Just retire. Like, I think she's always been worried about that. But there was never like this stereotypical Jewish mother that was like babing us around. Uh, my dad was more of the conservative, like, you know, synagogue vice president at at at, at the shul. Um, so, but they never discouraged us from playing. At least my mom did. Yeah, the way the way she tells it is, at, you know, at first she was worried about us playing football, and then she realized, you know, how much bigger we were than everyone, and she started worrying more about the other kids than us. <laughs> That's great. Uh, is there like Jeff? When you got injured, what was that like? I mean, you're a grown ass man by this point in time, but it's like, was there like, I told you so. Uh, no, because the injuries I had were not, I told you so injuries. I don't know. Um, I mean, look, the first couple of injuries were just like, I was too big. And so I hurt my, in my hips, like, you know, my, I tore my labors in my hips and then I tore my abdominal wall off my pelvis. Um, those are just like being big and like fat injuries. Um, but then I broke my leg a couple of times. That was just freak injury. I mean, it like, it, um, it's weird to feel like your ankle kind of move. And then, so I, I remember I, uh, this whole pile falls on me and I'm laying on the ground and I felt like my ankle dislocate. And I said to myself, like, I literally said to myself, don't be gross. Cause we've all seen, Mitch has seen it too. I know he doesn't want to talk about it, but like we've seen guys with dislocated ankles, right? It's like sideways. Okay. It's yeah. Weird. It's so gross. So I'm like laying on the ground literally like this. And I'm like, don't be gross. Don't be gross. Don't be gross. And I look over. It's not gross. I'm like, sweet. I'm not hurt. I just rolled my ankle and I get up and I take a step and I hear like three crunches. <clears throat> I was like, this is not good. So I, um, that was, I mean, look. My, my wife tells it best. I mean, she, I think she was in the bathtub, like watching the game when I got hurt. And it was only a, a, a game and a half after I came back from another injury. So she says she just started screaming in the bath. Um, it sucks. I mean, I don't know. It's just terrible. It ruined my career. I mean, I'm not, I don't have regrets. I mean, I wish I stayed healthy. It's not, I didn't do anything that like, I wasn't a hamstring. I wasn't like a, you know, I wasn't ready to play type of thing. I just had, I had bad luck, kept getting hurt. Um, it happens. Like I'm fine with it, but it sucks. I mean, what, what, you know, it's it's not actually the injury; it's the rehab, and this is why, like, you got like you got like Andrew Luck retired. It's just the rehab, just constant, like for two and a half years, three years straight of just going to rehab every day. Yeah. And, like you make you make such small progress at times. You just want, it drives yourself crazy to show up every day, get two hours of rehab, and feel the exact same way you did when you showed up. And, and mentally draining on top of physically draining, right? Because you, there's mental, so much yes. mental game in it, there. That's what it is. It's mental. For guys rehabbing, it's the mental part of it. Like showing up every day and you don't feel any better. Like you just, you make small steps. It never goes as quickly as you think it's going to go. Hey, we're back in three weeks. It's like seven weeks later, the coaches are angry at you because you're not healthy yet, even though they were told three weeks. You're like, I can't do anything different. I, I can't make my foot heal any faster. I'm doing what you tell me to do. Like stop giving. So it's just, it's a whole, it's a lot, but um, it's also, it's, it's the same, like dumb movements every single day too. You're like yes. flexing your quad to make sure your quads not going away. And you're like <laughs> doing these just like really 
boring, monotonous movements, and you're doing that every day, and you're waking up an hour and a half earlier than you used to because you have to get in early to do treatment, and then you're staying till 7 p.m. to make sure you're, and it just the entire day is like you wake up, all your free time is dedicated to doing rehab stuff. You're doing practice, you're playing football, you go home, you have like an hour to yourself before you fall asleep, and that's it. And yeah, it's way more mentally draining than it really is physically. Is there a discipline that you got from growing up conservative in terms of being a Jew and being dedicated to a faith that you carry into your athleticism? It's a really good question. Um, I'll put it like this. I think we got a lot of our work ethic from our parents. And I think they got a lot of their work ethic from their parents. And I think they got a lot of that from the temple, right? Like being in, in Jewish community. And so I don't think there was one thing I learned from being in temple that I think I carried on to my NFL career. But I think a lot of our hard work that we put in has come from our parents and that's come from being rooted in Judaism. And so I think just kind of those, those, the, the, the concepts of, kind of, you know, just kind of doing the right thing, um, you know, working your butt off and things like that, just kind of things that we talk about in the religion have shaped who we are. I don't think there was like one thing I could specifically say I learned in the synagogue that's helped me my, through my career. I don't know if there's one from you, Mitch, that, that you can think of, um, but that's, that's kind of where I think, I think just like from our parents that grew up in, a, you know, in Jewish households. Yeah, there's nothing like specific like that, but I'd say, you know, Jeff mentioned earlier, I feel like the overriding kind of Jewish tenant is just be a good person. And so in the football world where all they want to do is, you know, replace you with someone who makes less money and try to withhold as much as possible, all that stuff. Like <laughs> if for whatever reason you've been a good person, you've been loyal, all this stuff, maybe there's some positive, you know, sentiment towards you and you might get this contract that otherwise, you know, you're not supposed to or things of that nature. And so just being a good person is, is, you know, something that I think helps out in any facet of life. I mean, I've only been with two teams. Jeff was with, I don't know, four or five, six, depending on how you want to calculate it. But you know, if you're able to, you know, four years later, you had this offensive line coach who was, you know, an assistant coach when you were in your first couple of years. And he remembers, hey, I, I remember coaching Jeff. He was really awesome. He's a great guy to have around. I'm going to tell, you know, the GM that we want to uh, make sure Jeff's on our roster. You know, maybe that's something that pays dividends down the line. And that's, you know, like I said, it uh, goes back to just being a good person, going, out, going about your business the right way, uh, taking accountability. And those are all things that are, you know, very prevalent in the Jewish faith. Do you feel, and uh, Jeff, I messed up earlier because I'd said, I attributed the video to your brother, which was your video. And, I, oh, and one of the things that uh, stood out to me was you said, you know, the, there's no color of, you know, when you see like a stained glass window, there's yeah. no color of who we believe this person to be. Right. Um, being in these locker rooms and, and you know, a, a lot of people say the Lord's prayer before they go on the field yeah. and stuff. I've only seen, you know, I've only seen, we all get out there and take our inches. Hoo-ah. Uh, <laughs> like, so Pacino's ingrained in my, yeah. I don't know how close it is, but I mean, yeah. I, I, it's such an exciting sport, but when this religion, I mean, I, my wife's not Jewish. I've dated one Jewish girl in my life. I, and I had one girl that was going to convert for me, but then it, it didn't work out. If I could do it again, would I maybe like uh, let my wife fall asleep and have a rabbi come over and convert her while she didn't know? Yes. Um, being around that, I was never comfortable. So when I go to my wife's family in Delaware, we sit down and they say, uh, dear God, thank us for this bread and blah, blah. And I always like, uh, and uh, I feel weird about it. I'm more comfortable now. And also, I won't eat ham. When they bring out ham at Easter, I don't eat ham. I'll eat bacon, but I won't eat ham. Do you see the fine difference there? Because yes. the ham is just sweating on itself. The bacon is delicious. And God doesn't know about the bacon because <laughs> it's crispy and you can eat it quicker. Uh, did you feel awkward being included in these things where you're the only Jew in the dressing room, everybody's on a knee, there's a lot of blah, 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 and all that happening. How do you feel during that? Uh, I did not feel awkward because no one made it awkward, right? Like you just, you know, you say the Lord's Prayer, you get down and do it. I, I didn't say it. I would get on a knee. I'd be respectful about it. Um, there was a players only uh, prayer typically in the shower before a game. I mean, they, they put it in the shower. So the players that don't participate aren't part of it. Like it actually was considerate that they would move that away from us. Um, so no, I never felt awkward except 
I, you know, I had two players try to convert me at times. That's the only time I felt awkward in the locker room was when I, I had a player most recently in 2015 try to convert me, told me my son was going to hell if I didn't take Jesus as my savior. Um, that's the only time it was awkward. Otherwise, it wasn't awkward. Like, I, I just think that, like, it's it was, just... That's a little awkward. Yeah. So, <laughs> how, does, how does that come up? He just okay. walks up to you no, in the dressing so, so I no, why why does your dick have no skin on the tip of it? You're <laughs> that, going that, to hell. That's, Sorry, that's, what, to that's what the way it should have started. No, I was at just breakfast, and my uh, my buddy of mine was giving me crap for eating a pork sausage. He's like, "Oh, you're not keeping kosher today, Schwartz." We we and him were fine. That was fine. It was okay. Yeah. And the other guy who doesn't really sit with us at breakfast was like, "Oh, so you're not a good Jew, are you?" And he's like, you know, do you want to take, and I was kind of, and I sort of tried to explain it. And he just, then he was like doing his whole Jesus spiel about how I could be saved if I converted. Um, but I think back to the original point, like, no, I mean, I, I never felt awkward about it in the locker room. I just was respectful. I took a knee, but I mean, no one forced me to say it. It's not like they're holding, you know, they're like, Hey, Schwartz, you have to say the prayer before the yeah. game. I just, I just, you know, be respectful to my teammates. Cause here's what, here's the overriding reason why in my opinion is to get to a state mentally to play football for three hours. You have to get there somehow because mm -hmm. it's not normal to try to hit someone for that amount of time in a, in a, in a three hour day, right? You have to get your mind somewhere because Mitch and I aren't violent people. Like, like we're not going out punching people on the street. Like we have to get mentally somewhere to play. And so does everyone else. Everyone else has to get somewhere. And if they use religion to get themselves there, good for them. Yeah. So like, I didn't care. Like if God wants to pray next to me, team wants to pray. If that's the way they got themselves in the mental state to play, Go ahead and do it. No hard feelings. Uh, what about you, man? Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, it's I kind of feel awkward around it when you're you know, you're not participating. Um, you know, lately the sh showers aren't really that big when you're trying to fit you know 50 dudes in there, so <laughs> it, it seems to end up going into. We're it. all dressed, by the way. They're all dressed. I want to make <laughs> it very you. clear. Thank Everyone's you. dressed. It's before a game. Shoulder pads, pants on, cleats on. We get it. You're very, dressed. Very we get it. <laughs> Thank you. That makes so, yeah, me feel much just, more comfortable. It's just not something that, you know, you're not, um, I was going to say crucified, which is the totally wrong word there. Uh, people don't care if you don't join. Like Jeff said, it's not like they're coming out, at, coming after you and saying, hey, why aren't you joining, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, people respect if you want to join. People respect if you don't. Um, it's just always, like you said, kind of awkward to be around, you know, especially if it is kind of like a family dinner prayer type thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot more intimate. That's a lot more uh, close knit. And, and that's, I'd say where it does get, you know, a little bit more awkward to sit there and, and feel like you, uh, not don't belong, but it's just not something that's comfortable for you. But, um, yeah, no, no, no real issues with that. Like we said, I mean, I've had, um, you know, pretty good experience in, in the NFL and in locker rooms in terms of, you know, religious stuff. That being said, uh, final question. How do you see the league moving forward? What's going to happen uh, in terms of fans being in the stadiums? What's going to happen in terms of play? What are your predictions on the upcoming season? Well, we haven't really been told much. Uh, they're still negotiating, so there's not like a surefire, uh, you know, start date or any of that stuff yet. I would have to say if it doesn't get, you know, delayed in terms of training camp started at some point during the season, it seems likely there'll be, you know, a couple of weeks where we'll probably have to shut down uh, just the way this thing's going, you know, floating up and down. And, you know, as we're taping this right now, we've been in a pretty big upswing the past three or four weeks. And, um, you know, everyone kept predicting the, the fall upswing anyway. So I, I would imagine there's a point uh, once things get started where at some point things get dicey and maybe you have to shut down for a week or two. Uh, obviously all the rules and restrictions and guidelines of, of the day to day is going to be insanely different than a normal uh, schedule. I mean, they're talking about you know, 15 people total lifting weights. I mean, in the past it's upwards of 50, 60 people doing that at once. Um, meetings, potentially you're in the building, but they're still digital, you know, cause most of the meeting rooms, I mean, we got, you know, during the season, anywhere from 10 to 12 offensive linemen plus a coach and an assistant, you know, sitting all together in this room and trying to get six feet of space in any direction from all of us, you need a pretty big room. So right. um, just the uh, logistics of things of that nature, it's just going to be a lot different. I've maintained from the start, I think games are going to happen. Uh, there's billions and billions of dollars uh, floating around on all sides of this thing. So I think there's a lot of, you know, financial incentive to make it happen. And it just seems like if any league is just going to kind of power through and, you know, maybe <laughs> things are telling you uh, to step back, I think the NFL will make it happen. And um, 
yeah, we'll see. It's uh, you know, wait and see. But honestly, I'm usually don't look forward to training camp, but I've been pretty bored the past few months, and this year's training camp will be kind of a gradual increase into things. So uh, I'm looking forward to it getting going. Jeff, your thoughts on the upcoming season? I think the overriding point Mitch made is money, right? Is that money is driving all of this. It's driven it in, in baseball especially, is that I think that the players want to play, with J.J. Watt tweeted out yesterday, you want to play, I think Mitch wants to play, and I think owners want to play. It's just a matter of finding a way to make it work financially, first of all, and then keeping everyone safe. And so um, the NFL doesn't handle crisis very well at times, and I think it's been shown over the years they can't do that very well. And we're just seeing that um, – the NFL and the PA can't figure out what you know how to make this all work together. And it is kind of surprising because they had so many months to do it. But I do think, though, that I think Memorial Weekend, everyone thought, okay, we're going to do this on time. We're going to be ready to go. And then the, the upswing, it's just so high right now that everything's changing every day. So I hope they play. I mean, look, it's I, I cover the NFL for a living. I color college football for, for a living for my own personal joy and and for employment. I hope they play. Um, you know, I hope Mitch gets to play. But um, I think the NFL will make it work eventually. They're not going to miss regular season games. There's too much money involved. September 10th, Mitch will be going against JJ Watt. I know you're looking forward to that again, buddy. And um, we'll have, you know, we'll have a kickoff on that Thursday night. Guys, thank you so much. One last thing. Please tell me about the double bacon burger dog. <laughs> uh, that, I don't know how that uh, inspiration is tracking on that one. I like to think that's a rare form of genius to, uh, be this fat and still come up with things that disgust <laughs> even myself. So, uh, you know, as a Memorial or as a July 4th spread, I figured, honestly, I eat two to three uh, hamburgers, two to three hot dogs anyway. Might as well just put it all onto one uh, <laughs> in between a bun and just do it all in one fell swoop and be done with it. So <laughs> that was really the inspiration. I'm going to make one tomorrow. Guys, you've been a treat. Thank you for joining us. You're both two badass Jews. All the best in the future. And uh, it, it's really inspiring to see how tight-knit your family is and how much you've both succeeded. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. Thank you.